Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. This show, as ever, brought to you by The Athletic UK. And we're here to discuss another 6-2 win. This incredible streak for Fulham continues. 19 goals in three games. And last night, Fulham put the ball in the net six times and Alexander Mitrovic didn't do it once. Definitely the one-man team criticism well and truly put to bed. And here to discuss another iconic night at the Cottage, it's the regular Thursday club of Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Fulham's writer for The Athletic UK, Peter Rutzler. Hello, Sammy. How are you doing? Fine, thank you. How can I not be fine, thank you? After another mesmeric night for the Whites at the Cottage. And yes, all the criteria has been fulfilled. I had a lot of tweets last night with three words in them. Sound the horn. So, ladies and gentlemen, all aboard. just before I get to Stoke. (laughs) All (laughs) aboard. Welcome along to the ship. What a night, Jack, at the cottage. Let's have some three-word reviews. Yeah, absolutely. Unbelievable, wasn't it? It was, I mean, just just an incredible evening of, of football. And there was some, you know, Brilliant things. I, I quite liked the kind of, there was a lot of that sound it, Sammy, which was good. And I appreciate it. And it's all fun. Um, and then Kibana Rama at the FFC fan, eat, sleep, repeat, which I genuinely, he put six repeat. But I think that's cheating. But eat, sleep, repeat works itself, I think. Um, yeah. So I'm going I'm to give credit there. There's some really good ones. There was a lot of sixes and sevens, um, which I thought were fun. Matt Pollard gave us one of them. Ross McSweeney with Deja 6 too. Um Connor Daly with <laughs> I like very that good. Much. Connor Daly with straight sets victories, uh, which I thought was excellent. Yeah, Luke Peel, Fulham nineteen, all one word, highly contagious. Um, and then I think maybe the best one actually came to us via Instagram, which was a Murray eighteen with Fulham Cricket Club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the score lines are outrageous. It's like we're fans of baseball or something. Cricket, tennis as well, obviously. You in theory, could win a game 6-2, 6-2, Can you win? You can't no. win 7-0, no, I'm afraid not, mate. No, um, you can't. You can only I'm win 7-6, can, can't yeah, you? Yeah, you can win 7 All right, close enough. Maybe we should have just go back retrospectively and change the Reading result to a, a 6-3 or something so we could have got the tennis analogy. 6-0 would have been fine. 6-0 yeah, would, would have worked. Maybe that um, seventh goal was actually a curse rather than a blessing in hindsight. Uh, we'll come on to the game, Peter. And you missed Saturday's game against Bristol City, um, mm. as did my dad, who uh, did make the game. And he was really gutted about missing that Bristol game because he's thinking, oh man, what a, what, a, what a day to miss. And then well, he comes three days later and he sees the exact same thing. So it's all fine and it's worked out okay. Yeah, Fulham doing, doing us both a favour, I think. I've, at the weekend, obviously, I, I wasn't watching the game. So I, the only, my only sort of updates were on my phone and I was just checking it just to check that nothing crazy was going on that would require me to, to jump up and throw my plans in the bin and, uh, and get cracking and just saw the goals go in. And then at halftime, it's 5-2 and I'm thinking, oh my God. Because what we've seen with Fulham is that they just tend to, they can just run away with games. You know, the, the big wins have always come with second half glats. Um, and I thought, my goodness, like, could they, could they get to 10? Could they get, could they get really, really high? And I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's not that ridiculous with this Fulham team this season. But yeah, thankfully they, they did me a favour and repeated the trick last night. So uh, I didn't miss a thing. But yeah, another fantastic performance. And it's, it's just those, those, those purple patches of goals that they just go through. Where they just hit like gear five. They just start <laughs> blitzing teams. 
scoring with every shot seemingly. Um, and l- last night was a strange one. I think I, you guys were the, uh, will have seen the Bristol City game in more depth than I did. I, I did watch it back afterwards, but they were dominant of the ball with the ball, but they weren't creating a ridiculous number of chances in that first half until suddenly it just the pendulum swung and then and then that quality just showed through, didn't it? I mean. Some of the link-up play, particularly with Tom Kearney and Harry Wilson and Fabio Carvalho, was 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 really really impressive. I mean, I didn't feel like Birmingham did much wrong in that first half, to be honest. Um, and yet they've still been ultimately hit for six. So it's uh, <laughs> it's really it's quite remarkable, to be honest. It's just it's just it's just insane. It's just absolutely insane. I mean, I feel like Jack, and I read your piece, Peter, which said that actually our expected goals last night wasn't that high. It also wasn't like outrageously high against Bristol City. It was very high against Reading. It was over five against Reading. But yeah, in the last two games, we have been incredibly clinical. But for me, I just feel like this Fulham team are literally scoring when they want. They are creating chances when they want, Jack. And whilst the expected goals might be that high, I think it's because Fulham are are just saying, right... Should we go score three? Yeah, let's do it. Let's let's just let's just play for this ten minutes. And you know, Birmingham got that second goal last night to make it four two. Fulham had been kind of not really doing much all half, and then thought, all right, if you guys can come up here and score two goals, we're going to turn it on. And within two minutes, Fabio had scored the fifth, and Fulham kind of found that impetus. It is we are we are controlling the tempo so much, and almost seemingly from the stands deciding right. Now we're going to turn it on and, and and create some chances. Yeah, it felt like we had two gears that we didn't bother. But you know, we we almost were like, oh, we don't we don't need to. And it was almost like it got to four one, and you're kind of looking at Birmingham, and the players are going, all right, you sit back, we're just going to knock it about. It's going to be fine. Um, if you if you poke the beast, then we'll go and score, and that's what happened. They scored. Um, Fulham were like, don't do that, and came right back up the other end and scored it in about a minute. It was like. We did the same thing against Bristol City, obviously, with the second for the equaliser. Obviously, slightly different circumstances because you're going on to win a game at that point. But it was a bit like, don't do that. No, 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 no. That's not what you're here for. You know, 4-1 down at halftime. We stood off Sunjic. Not sure. We let him have a go. He hit a rocket in. Fair play. Great goal. Um, It was a great goal. In fact, quite a lot of people around me stood up and applauded it. Yeah, Um, but you could do that that 4-0. But the thing is that it it did feel like it was like Fulham had the, the, the... the kind of passages of play, the gas in the tank to just hit the accelerator when they wanted. And obviously when we got to the end of the first half and it was like, okay, let's just put a couple away just to, just to really make sure everything's fine. So it's one nil and suddenly it's four nil within about five minutes. Um, from that moment and then, and then it was sort of a step off. They scored. We went straight back down the other end and Mitrovic had a really good volley saved. It happened in the first half as well. It just didn't result in a goal. Then it came back and it was like, okay, right, calm down. Everything's fine. We can go up another gear. We just almost didn't want to. We let them play second half. Um, and when they scored, it felt like Fulham were like, no, no, that's annoyed us. And now we go back and we'll score another two. And and it really does feel like Fulham are just at will being able to cut through teams at the moment. Now, this isn't going to last, I don't think. I, I think there are games where, you know, obviously in the second half, Birmingham sat back and we didn't break through until they really came at us, I think, which is probably worth pointing out. There are going to be games where teams sit in in a block against Fulham and, and it's hard to break down. But with Kearney playing at the base of this pivot and Carvalho in front of him, this combination of being able to kind of penetrate from deep in, in that Kearney can like slide those balls through as for the first goal and Carvalho dancing around in front of him is almost impossible to defend at this level, I think, because people are so confused as to who they should go, where they should stay. You know, defenders are just unable to cope with the ability they have because they're already worried about Mitrovic, Niskins and Harry Wilson. And suddenly you're adding these other two into the mix and it just all feels like Fulham are able to overwhelm sides. Um, and, and yeah, it does feel like we have that gear to just click up. And when we do, it's been so, so ruthless. I mean, Peter, the, the statistics now are getting silly there's so many of them flying about fulhamish last night tried to do a thread on on social media trying to like pick out the best ones but honestly there's another dozen that are floating around out there from from various statisticians or just kind of amateur fans trying to like look at league tables and 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 work things out um one that i do have to apologize for that i read on uh sunday's podcast was this fact that fulham have scored 33% of the times that we've scored six or plus goals have come in the last week. 
it's not right. It's quite far off. And um, we had uh, a statistician who works for lots of the big outlets and happens to be a Fulham fan who said last night was the 52nd time Fulham has scored six plus goals in a football league Premier League match I'm afraid it's the ninth time going back to January 1997 however he did say it's the first time they've managed it four times in a season Uh, that was David Wallace football statistician mainly working for the Premier League um, and also a big uh, Fulham fan from uh, from what I can tell. So thank you for clarifying that. And I'm sorry to anyone I misleaded slightly on Sunday. I will uh, make sure I research the facts I get given uh, from the public before I just spout them out. But anyway, the facts are, are incredible. Yeah. We've got we've got a football cliches one that fra- references you today, Peter. The Fulham women's team in 2000, oh, yeah. uh, 2001, 2002 scored 234 goals in the Premier League on their way to 22 straight victories. So we're making a good go at it, but um, I don't think we're going to beat that record. Well, this is uh, one of the ones that I found that if you extrapolated um, our return in the last three matches over a full league campaign, uh, we'd have scored 291 goals. Um, which I love. And we are the first English side in 88 years to score six plus goals in three consecutive games. Oh, that's not right. It is right. Three consecutive games, three consecutive league games is Everton back in the 50s, but there was Uh, a cup match in between. That's the subtle difference on that stat. I had to do some digging. Yeah, I got pulled up for that one as as well. It's a dangerous world, the statistics land. It's uh, so many many landmines. I've fallen into a couple of traps myself, but the main one, Peter, 70 goals now this season. There's 20 games of the season left. The statistics are just mind-numbingly good. 70 goals is the big one, really, I think. I mean, as, as much as the, the historical ones, but 70 goals at this stage of the scene, season with 20 matches still to play, it's pretty extraordinary. I think it was uh, Lydia Campbell who, who tweeted that, you know, during Slavisa's Jukanovic's season 2017-18, with 79 goals overall for Fulham. That's nine yeah. goals off already. I mean, that's mad. And then obviously last year, Norwich won the championship with 75 goals. The goal difference one blew my mind. My friend Joe Gallagher pointed this out to me on Saturday. He said, if you score one more, you'll have a better goal difference than anyone else has a goal scored. And I went, excellent. Thanks very much. I'll hold that in the pocket for when we beat Birmingham on Tuesday night. And then I can post it as a fact rather than an if you score. That's nuts. That's nuts. That's very, 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 very mad. Just insane. Insane. Um, there is a worth a, a thing pointing out without going all Debbie Downer on this is that drink this in, like drink this in because it's not going to be like this forever. It might be like this till the end of the season. It, it probably won't, but it, it might, but it's not going to be like this next year. And, and look, Norwich won the league last year at a canter, right? They won the championship and they've been unable to really compete in the Premier League this season. That switch is about adaptation. It's not about who the best team in the championship is. It's about who can adapt best to the rigours of the Premier League. And Norwich couldn't adapt or haven't been able to adapt from being a possession-heavy dominant team that can outplay and outscore teams to one which doesn't have the ball as much and is unable to compete when they're not in possession. So this isn't to say that Fulham are going to go walk back up to the Premier League next year and have the best time ever. We might. And Marco Silva has shown at points that he can adapt and he can change systems and work it out. Um, but it's not a given, I think, is probably worth pointing out. So, you know, when we're having an argument next Christmas about why we might need to go back to three at the back or why we need to try and, and change our defensive record, or if Marco Silva is sacked in December, having Fulham lost their first 12 games in the Premier League, Remember this, drink this in, drink these moments in. You don't get them very often. They're worth, you know, they're worth enjoying. And whether you're there or whether you're watching from abroad or whether you're watching from home or wherever you are in the world, just sit back and and enjoy it because it's a ride worth enjoying. Yeah, there's only so much that you can read into these last three games in a way. And look, I think faced three perfect teams at this time who are all struggling in their own individual ways. And we'll come on to the Stoke game later. That's clearly a much tougher task for Fulham. And, you know, this goal scoring run almost certainly will end at the bet 365 on, on Saturday. But most importantly, Peter, more than all the goal scoring stats, it is that Fulham have built up a five point cushion over Bournemouth and Blackburn. That now is a six point cushion with our goal difference. Like I, I remember 
thinking before, well, you know, Bournemouth could go on a bit of a run and maybe get close to our goal difference, score, win a few big games. No, no one's getting close to that goal difference now. So it's a six point gap. And given that Fulham have passed up lots of opportunities this season, um, we talked about how few games Fulham have won whilst being in first position this season. It's only one or two that we have. Last night, taking out all the goal scoring was a massive, massive win. It could have been 1-0, it could have been 6-2, it could have been 13-0. It doesn't really matter. We got three points on the board and that nice little cushion is huge for a Fulham team that have fairly good fixtures barring Stoke coming up too. Yeah, and I, I think context is important. You know, we Fulham came into this recent run. Obviously, there was the, the pause from postponements, but it was five games without a win. And it wasn't just five games without a win. It was it was five games that had become quite concerning, not not just because of results, but because of performances. I think there were three, the three performances towards the back end of that that culminated in the Sheffield United game. You know, had alarm bells ringing a little bit. You know, it, it felt like Fulham were at a little juncture that said, where are we going here? Are Fulham going to have to really slog it out for the automatics? Um, they then had that pause and, and evidently that pause has, has been helpful. Um, there was a risk obviously of being a bit rusty, which we probably saw at Bristol City a little bit uh, in, in the FA Cup. Um, but it's just, it's turned the team to sort of a, uh, a coiled spring really has just come out and started throwing, throwing punches like there's, there's no tomorrow. And um it's that ability to build on the results. You know, we, the expectation was, you know, that last night could have been a nil-nil, could have been a one-nil. Um, because of you just think, well, one for one thing, fatigue, but how can you sustain it? But the fact that they have managed to do that, that's a real, real boost to your self-belief. A belief in the team that once you score, you can keep scoring or that you, you have the ability to score at any time or as Jack was outlining, at any moment, uh, whenever whenever the team really wants to. Um which you need, and, and, and the five-point cushion feels like a validation now. You know, we've seen the goals, we've seen the big, the big score lines throughout the season, but not being in first place almost hangs a little cloud over it, doesn't it? Say, so, well, you're just a bit inconsistent here. Can you can you actually sustain it? But having that gap is important, and it's important now that Fulham builds on it. Um, going to the bet three six five and, and winning is is key. Um, that again puts down another marker and just tells the rest of the division that they really are a class apart. and Because I, I think fundamentally, when you actually look at the performances, they're not amazing, I mean, <laughs> apart, from, apart from an attack. But there are things you can you can pull apart. And there are a couple of question marks. Obviously, it's four goals conceded in two games. You know, two counter-attacking goals, two very good goals uh, last night. Um, and there's also the question of fatigue as well um, and what Silver does about rotation. We've talked about rotation before. Um, Will... Silver decide that he can mix and match things. It feels like the formula he's got at the moment is great, but can they play four games in, what, 11, 12 days and maintain those performance levels? So those are the question marks they've, they've got to overcome now. But, you know, in terms of what the result means, it's it's massive. Yeah, it's a really important five or so weeks for the automatic promotion race in, in my book. Um, you look at Fulham's fixtures and they're fairly kind. And we've been done a favour by this Middlesbrough game, I think, being moved to April because of the FA Cup fourth round. So next few games, Stoke away, we talked about difficult-ish match for Fulham, certainly. After that, it's Blackpool at home, uh, Man City in the Cup, whatever. Millwall at home, Hull away, Huddersfield at home, Peterborough at home, Cardiff away. That's all before March. And the only game in there that I would say is a difficult match is Huddersfield at home. And that's a home game. And I'd like to think that Fulham do have I think the Stoke game is a tricky game. Sorry, uh, maybe the Stoke game. So that's why I think this Saturday is quite an important one. You look at Blackburn's fixtures. Okay, they've got Hull tonight. This will That will have been played by the time that you, that you hear this podcast. Then they have to go, to, then they play Middlesbrough and Luton. Both games that they'll have to play without Brereton Diaz because he's been called up for Chile. I mean, Middlesbrough is not a team that you want to face at the moment. They are banging form. Away to Swansea, who are improving. A Nottingham Forest team that are also improving. West Brom away, who are not great, but it's still a difficult match. They've got their Millwall, Sheffield United and QPR before they then face us at the beginning of March. Now, that is a run of games that if Fulham can just stay on form for February, don't need to win every game, but win most of them. I would imagine that you will pull away from Blackburn, given that it's already five slash six points. Bournemouth's fixtures are also fairly kind to them. There's a couple of little ones in there that are difficult, but they're mostly pretty kind as well. So 
in terms of trying to open up a gap to third, which is the most important thing here, top, yes, great. But actually, I do think this is a really important time for Fulham to go and kick on. I think you're right, Sammy. I mean, those fixtures for, for Blackburn are sound like a nightmare, um, particularly if you're out with, if you lost Brereton Diaz. I think, I think you're really, you're really right on Middlesbrough because Middlesbrough under Chris Wilder have just kicked on and found a completely new level. Five wins in a row in all competitions and they've beaten Forest, Bournemouth, uh, Blackpool away, Reading. I mean, it's, it's, it's really quite, quite something. So to have that game sort of pulled out is, helps Fulham. And ultimately it is about building that, building that gap, you know, as we were saying and, and trying to, trying to make sure that that top two status is is secured really and and I think we mentioned that Blackburn had had that run of games where they were playing sides that you know were in the bottom half of the table and they were doing well they were putting them away um it will now be interesting to see how they respond to this set of challenges and, and with Bournemouth they've they've just shown an inconsistency an inconsistency that probably Fulham were familiar with to an extent from their own you know in mm. terms of what we've seen performance wise um but you know they they've sort of lost that invincibility aura that they had at the start of the season there um, they seem to swing quite drastically from being overpowering to underwhelming so um right now the cards are set for Fulham and, and and again if you can beat Stoke at Britannia then it just only adds to it I can hear what everyone's saying listen to this look we have to play every team twice we have to play everyone but in my opinion Jack if you can build up a gap Yes, okay, we will have a very tricky end of the season. We have to go to Bournemouth, we have to go to Middlesbrough, we've got to go to West Brom. There is some difficult games in there. I will absolutely grant We have to go to QPR as well. Yeah, we have to go to QPR. But if Fulham have the big gap behind them by that point, that's I'd much rather it this way round rather than having to face all of the difficult teams now. Building a gap is what important, is important because once gaps are formed then it just becomes a real, real slog for anyone to try and catch you because one gap, one mistake from another team and then the gap increases. You look at what City have done regularly, year after year after year. They build the gap around this time and then even if tricky fixtures come later in the year, it's too late. It gives you the confidence as well, right? And then, and then you know you're seeing people in that rear view mirror tailing off. You're seeing people drop points and thinking, right, these are the opportunities we have. And I think you're right about these fixtures. Look, it, it, it's the same thing. It, it does... It's not done until it's done. And if Fulham, you know, the last time we went top of the table, we went through a bit of a, a funny spell. So, you know, the, the, there's no guarantee that this is not going to happen again. But I do agree with you in that I think that if you can build that out and build up a lead and be cut, feel like feel like you're invincible for a while, even if that's only four or six, seven games, um, it can it'll dishearten teams trying to chase you. And and look, I think there is also, it comes into account that if you pull away and the teams behind you are in a, a kind of scrap. So you look obviously at the championship table and Fulham are five points clear, but then there's Bournemouth and Blackburn on 49. QPR with a game in hand on 44. If they win that game in hand, they're two points behind Blackburn and Bournemouth. They're going to start wanting teams to take points off each other, right? At that, that point... Bournemouth fans um, who at one point would have been saying, oh, I hope that West Brom, I hope that, uh, you know, Blackburn, I hope the QPR take points off Fulham. will stop hoping that Blackburn take points off Fulham and start hoping. That, and, and that becomes then a little battle within themselves. Now, it doesn't mean that doesn't mean that Fulham are out of the race or, or whatever the, the case may be. But it does mean that Blackburn will be thinking, oh, you know, if Fulham beat Bournemouth, that's probably good for us rather than Blackburn thinking, oh, if Bournemouth beat Fulham, we might be able to catch them and win the league. And I think there's a mentality shift there at that point where people start scrapping for second rather than actually going, oh, there's a title race here because that second spot is so important in the championship. It's not like in the Premier League where it's win it or nothing. That second spot is so important that it mm. suddenly changes the paradigm in which they're existing. And it is you know, one of those where if you can pull away from it, you let other teams behind you scrap amongst themselves. Let's go on to the game. I feel like we actually haven't discussed too much of it so far. We've been talking about permutations and, and combinations. Um, Peter, there was just one change made, which was Tete out for a doy. Uh, did we know anything about that? Was that just a rest? Uh, just a rest as far as I'm aware. I don't think there was anything else untoward. And to be honest, it was one that I wasn't too surprised by. And I don't think many will be. We've seen that he's picked up a couple of muscle injuries since he's been at Fulham. So of those players, maybe he's one that was a concern. Obviously, it was. Um, and also, just just to add, you know, Dennis had always been doing really well. We saw it again yeah. last night. I mean, fantastic assist again. Um, really does own that right hand side, and I think it's testament to him that 
you know, obviously in the summer when Teti was injured, Silva came out and said, I want a new right back. He already had five on the books, but he wanted a new right back with a similar profile to Kenny Teta. But then it come, comes around to this window. Obviously, Kenny Teta's fit now, but um, there's no interest in strengthening that position now, um, which is which is purely and solely down to Dennis Adoy. And he deserves credit for that, um, for, for basically cementing himself as, well, I say Kenny Teta's number two, but as a, as a, as a main choice right back. Yeah. Um, the other, the other thing to note, of course, was Tom Kearney starting three games in a row, which I don't think many people expected. And I myself probably didn't expect that either because he had been out for so long um, just because of that. And obviously he lasted just over an hour, I think, didn't he, in the end. Um, but it showed no signs of, of fatigue in that game. I thought he was absolutely outstanding. And Jack outlined earlier how Kearney and Carvalho, that, that double at the top end of that midfield and how they complement each other and are so many questions of a midfield. It's a midfield free yesterday. You know, they, they were flat free trying to deal with them. Um, you've got Harrison Reed being a, being a nuisance behind them, but the two of them, the way they complement each other, it's, it's, it's not, I don't think it's a coincidence that those two working together like that has, has produced so many goals as well. I think it's a, it's a big part of it. And obviously TC playing three games in a row is, is a huge boost. And Jack, goals from midfield last night. No goal for Alexander Mitrovic, but little did it matter. I mean, it would have been a Mitrovic goal if um, Mark Roberts hadn't stuck it in the net before he managed to have the opportunity to do so. He's clearly a uh, Dominic Solanke supporter, Mark Roberts, just wanted to make sure that uh, Mitrovic didn't pull any further clear. I thought the main man last night, Jack, was was Fabio. Um, yeah, I, amazing to score, see him score a header, um, the smallest player what a lead. on the pit. Yeah, it was such, such a lead. <laughs> such a good header. Very I mean, proud of him. If McBride had scored that, I'd have thought, bloody hell, great header. Um, and then, you know, his jinking slalom for the fifth. He was everywhere last night. The Birmingham defence just couldn't get near him. He's so tenacious as well, winning the ball back. I think this is now the, the Fabio Carvalho that we were seeing do damage in August. And and look, it was a week ago that you were here saying that we haven't quite seen Fabio taking that ball on the half turn and driving at defences. And clearly, Jack, you must be some sort of mentor to him, even though you don't know it, because he heard what you said. He took it on board and he's channeled it straight back onto the pitch. So thank you. Oh, look, it, 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 it's what he does best, right? It's not, it's not massively rocket science. When he no, picks up the ball in those areas and he's got, he's got such an amazing shift of body weight, his like faint of position is absolutely glorious. And I think it's what makes him, he looks like he can create space out of nothing. And it's all about this. It's about the way that he shifts his body with the ball. And for that second goal, the fifth one, the way that he opens the defense out, you know, they've got to know that he's cutting inside on his right foot. And, in some ways, it's kind of reverse eye and Robin. You knew what he, it, it was. It was obvious from the moment he got the ball what he was going to do. You know, he he was he was always looking to shift onto that right foot, open the space up, and curl it into the bottom corner. And I remember standing next to my friend John. He started celebrating before the ball hit the net. He was like, "Yeah, you knew, you, you knew. knew, just knew." And it was it was one of those because as soon as he shifted wide of the of the defender, it was it was going in. It, it just felt like there was absolutely no way. And look. Fabio could have had five or six last night. You know, he had a couple of really tame shots of the goalkeeper when he was when he was put through, and uh, he missed a couple of not golden opportunities, but I think opportunities where he would have thought he could have done better. Um, and there was a couple where he wasn't given the ball when he was screaming out for it. But actually, I think that you know the header was glorious. The shift of body weight for the second was unbelievable. I think maybe his best moment in the whole game was how he found Tom Kearney for the fourth. Yeah, because there's no space in that box whatsoever. And he suddenly just has the ball. He's surrounded by shirts. He kind of drags back, sort of takes his body weight backwards in order to give himself a little bit of space and then lays off TC to slot home. It's an unbelievable bit of vision um, from someone so young. He, he just continues to astound me. Um, I, I think that he's such a wonderful player. And we were talking about last night about some of the wonderful youngsters that Fulham have had on their books and how you can compare them because they're very different players. And we were talking about Ryan Sess, obviously. And Sess obviously had an incredible goal-scoring season and his thing was ghosting into beautiful areas and being able, being there to tap things home, being able there to find the net at perfect points. Fabio is a completely different player in that you watch him open up space for himself. Um, and, and it's an amazing thing to watch for someone so young. He's so tenacious, as you say, in the tackle now. He, he 
puts himself about despite his kind of limited stature he's a real glorious watch and the, the reports are now that Southampton are, are leading this race again um, for for Fabio Carvalho's signature. We know that he's signed with George Mensch now, so that's going to be an interesting development as to how this progresses. But, I mean, it would mean the world, I think, if, if he signed a, a new contract with Fulham. Do you know what's so interesting as well with Carvalho? He's played 20 senior matches of football. 20 games at this level. It's clearly not phased him. Is showing a levels of maturity that really do belie not just his age. You know, age is one thing. You know, you can be a young player and, and still do well, but experience, um, that confidence to take pros on, beat them, glide past them in the in the way he does, and um, he he seems to suit the system so well uh, in terms of where he's in terms of goal scoring. He clearly has that knack, and as Jack says, I think for, for Fulham to sign him, I mean, if they could sign him on a contract, it would be so important one financially two for what he could bring and, and clearly be you know he'd be more than capable of stepping up into into the Premier League and you know at the moment it doesn't look doesn't look particularly good but and obviously there was these rumors that came about early this week that Fulham have made inquiries about trying to sign Christian Eriksen under the noses of Brentford it probably looks like it's not going to happen but you can see why Fulham made an inquiry and why there could be an attraction to Christian Eriksen potentially coming to Fulham given our status in the championship looking likely to go up and Christian's in a unique position with his health where he's trying to get back to some sort of fitness and and the road to recovery and maybe a top championship team could be a bit more appealing than a Premier League team but I don't think it's going to happen but you'd have to ask with Fabio in such good form and both of them trying to vie for a number 10 position how often does Christian play you wouldn't well, you'd ask, you'd probably suggest that he'd be getting 10, 15 minutes at the end of games to, to build up that fitness. And then it gives you an option if Fabio Carvalho doesn't sign a contract. I'd imagine yeah. that's what Fulham's thought process was. It was a six month, I'd imagine, loan deal. Well, not a loan deal because he's not. Yeah, short term. Short term contract with the op, like, possibility of adding an extra year. And I imagine what happens there is if Fabio Carvalho signs a contract, you don't activate that extension. It's as simple as, or, or I mean, or he just plays as uh, as backup. I'd imagine he'd probably be less intrigued by that, considering that the whole point of this, I think, is to try and get back to fitness ahead of the World Cup. Um, but it gives you a, a long-term option. And look, Fulham have to consider the possibility or the very distinct possibility at this point that Carvalho doesn't sign this contract, right? And you have to think long-term in terms of who comes in and fills that position if Fulham get promoted, because... It's going to take someone, you know, at this point, we're talking about a player who's, again, only played 20 senior games. He's so young, but he's had such an impact. You're going to need someone to make a similar impact in that role if you're going to, you know, hopefully carry on this form into, into the Premier League. Obviously, maybe it's a change of system. Maybe that's what happens next year and it all, it all flips again. But ultimately, if they're looking long term to try and think about solutions to that problem, uh, I think Fulham looking at this as a possibility, again, I don't think it will happen either, but I think it, Fulham definitely were interested, um, is, is something that is probably worth thinking about. I, I wanted to ask you about that because it is a really, there are loads of different variables at play with whether you sell Fabio Carvalho or not in this window. I mean, if he doesn't sign, which it doesn't look likely, Jack said about George Mendes, that's that's the rumour. Um, and if he's officially involved or if he is involved in any capacity, it's hard to see how he stays. Um, well, there is a relationship there. Um, obviously, we oh, signed... There absolutely, of course there is. But when <laughs> when 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 actors like that come into play, it, it's it's difficult, put it that yeah, way. Yeah, no, I agree. I, um, I completely agree with you. I, I suppose, you know, there was there was discussion about this morning is it could it be a good thing obviously we signed Ivan Cavaledo for, for a lot of money and and, and a high quality he's a Mendes client and you know there there is obviously some sort of relationship there and I seem to recall um, I think some Charles Jones pointed it out that it was a there's a video of Tony Khan saying he was calling George Mendes in the middle of a all elite wrestling show which is a bit bizarre but um you know th- there's clearly some sort of contact there at the very least yeah, um, does it mean it's a good thing no i don't think so i don't think it's an, i don't think it's the ideal situation for them to be in um but i mean i think it's one of those wait and see situations i don't imagine that uh, you know he's obviously an incredible negotiator and tries to get good things for his clients but is it going to be for fulham's benefit or detriment well, i'd imagine the latter but we'll have to wait and see no, as I said, like for me, it's as, as you say. That's the, the talk at the moment. That is that is Mendes. I don't know. That's for sure. I think, I think my sort of understanding is it's, it's family with Fabio at the moment with assistance. But you know, there are there are so many different things to consider for Fulham in terms of 
you know, how, how valuable is he to the team now in terms of promotion? Quite clearly, considerably valuable. Um, how much would it hurt to let him go for, for nothing? If he goes abroad, the compensation fee for an international tribunal is, is minimal. It's not like the domestic tribunal. Um, so do you then try and get some money for him? I saw there was, there was a report this week in the Sun about 5 million. I think Fulham would want much more than that. Um, I don't think you sell him for five million because no. even if you get a even if you get a minimal tribunal fee, the six months is probably worth more. Well, than that's that. exactly it because of the money you get for promotion. So it's it's not it's not straightforward basically. And I think I think the solution that everybody wants is that Fabio signs signs a contract. But I'm, I'm yeah. still holding out false, silly hope that it's all just going to resolve itself. I don't know why I'm basing that on no intelligence whatsoever. I realise that it's unlikely that Fabio will stay, but I'm just looking at Fabio's reaction when he scored that fifth last night and he puts his arms to the Hammersmith end and he's loving life. And I'm just hoping that deep down that that must mean something. It probably doesn't. And if Jurgen Klopp comes calling, he probably will be on the first flight straight to Liverpool. But I I, I just, I I can say what I see. And for me, I see a happy player that is integral to this team. He but, looked happy last night, didn't he? Yeah. We, talk, we talked about this a lot, though. I mean, like, the, issue, the issue is not that he doesn't love being at Fulham. He does. He has a great relationship with Marco Silva, like a fantastic relationship. Marco Silva loves him. So that side of it is fine. The, the question is, as we talked about before, what's the best route for his pathway and what he sees as the best route? And, and then the other elements as well that come with that uh, in terms of a contract. So... <sighs> Yeah, uh, we'll see. One player I wanted to come on to before we finish the Birmingham City section, not that I feel like we've discussed the game too much, is Anthony Robinson. Uh, He has got a lot of stick from a lot of quarters this season. And I will say that I have not always been um, his biggest fan at times. But last night, I thought was another great performance from Anthony. He seems to be massively benefiting from the fact that defences are so worried and occupied by the kind of the crowd jewels in the front three that he does seem to have a lot of time and space um, to be able to do his thing. Jack, he obviously crowned it off with a lovely goal in the 93rd minute but actually I think that was the tip of the iceberg of of his performance we really saw him flying at the moment his confidence is high I feel like the mistakes that he's making have reduced significantly in the past three games and so look I have certainly not been always impressed with his performances this season but the last three games he's been immense and he deserves wild credit for that yeah, absolutely. I, there's a there's a kind of sort of maybe slightly wildcat theory, but when Robinson's good, Fulham are good. Like when he's really good, Fulham really click because it allows us to overload teams down that left hand side. Um, and actually, I, I was I was going to say this earlier to, to Peter's point. I, I thought Dennis Adore is quite poor last night. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I I, I thought. You know, there are so many moments. There's a moment where, obviously, for the Sunyas goal, he completely loses his man. And then he starts shouting at Harrison Reed, who's gone to the ball. It's bizarre. Um, it, there's a couple of moments since where he just, you know, he, you get the ball comes across to him and it just slides out of play. I'm I just not convinced. I don't think he's a bad player. Like, let me make that clear. I don't think that he is any way, you know, not good enough. I think he's a perfectly adequate backup right back. Um but I think Fulham lose so much. The, the assist is brilliant. And his assist against Swansea for Mitrovic's uh, second earlier in the season was absolutely sensational. And he does have moments of real class in his locker. There was a brilliant ball a couple of years back um, against QPR where Abubakar Kamara scored a header. And it's all to do with Dennis Sadoy's absolutely pinpoint cross. Um, and so this isn't to say that there isn't upsides to his game. There are. He's a lovely cross with the ball. Um, but I just, I'm just never convinced. His, his one-on-one marking, I think, lets him down massively. And, and I just think that Fulham looks so much worse when Tete isn't in the side or when Tete's not performing. Um, it's just something that jumps out at me. Whereas with Robinson, even when he's not playing well, like I, I think you see, you know, obviously you get misplaced passes, same things. But like there is, I, there are games where I'm like, Anthony Robinson is unplayable. There are never games where Dennis Adoy is unplayable. Um, and, and there are those moments where you look at it and think that's kind of what I, I'm after. And I know Dom talks all the time about wanting new left backs. I think that 
you know, a new right back, at least as a backup, is is, is incredibly important in the Premier League. Um, although I am still convinced that Marlon Fossey is going to be the business and he looks like he's having a good time on loan. Um, so yeah, yeah a good first um, game um, for, for Bolton on, on loan. So um, yeah, dip switch. yeah, that, that, that pleases me, but I mean, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I think Robinson, when Robinson is good, he's absolutely electric. He's sublime. Um, he's not always great. Um, but you know, when he is, I think Fulham click. And, and I think that's really important. It, it's so important to this, the kind of integral style of how Fulham play. I think I should apply a context filter to, to my earlier comments in that Dennis Adore is more than good enough for the championship in this Fulham Oh team. yeah, absolutely. This is what, is what I'm getting at. Um, do I, do I think in terms of long-term? Yeah. For, if you're looking for a Premier League, you do. But I think at this point, and I think, I, I do think his performances have led to a change of mind. I think that, and I, I think he deserves credit for that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I think what's, what is interesting just on fullbacks as well, I think I, I, think I'm, I think I wrote about it after the Reading game, but what was really noticeable was just how advanced and more effective Robinson, uh, and it was Tete, I think, uh, against Reading, how effective they were in those games, just providing the width, just adding that extra angle, as Jack was saying, in terms of attacking moves, and making sure that they are creating overloads in those wide areas, which is something that Silver's teams historically have tended to do, and we haven't really seen so much. But these last three games, it's, it's, it's been really, really noticeable. And it was again uh, last night. All right. We're going to finish the Birmingham chat there. And afterwards, we're going to discuss Matt O'Reilly and look ahead to Stoke. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here on the Thursday Club with Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Peter Rutzler. Hello. Uh, breaking news uh, by yourself and Stu James this morning on The Athletic, Peter. So congrats on the scoop is that former Fulham man Matt O'Reilly uh, is looking like he's going to move from MK Dons to Celtic. Obviously, this isn't directly Fulham news, but Fulham will probably get a significant chunk of the money. And it's only one and a half million, so I don't think it's going to change. Um, and I think we're going to suddenly rebuild the Hammersmith end off, off the money that we're going to get. But... Um, I guess you can look at it the positive one way. Fulham are going to get some money, but also I think it's a damn indictment of just what a player um, we we let go. He's clearly the best player in League One, and um, obviously now a uh, a top team in Celtic have uh, have seen the, the qualities, and and we know that that can be a pretty good path for for progression. Certainly, if uh, Moose Dembele is anything to to go by. Yeah, and they weren't the only club by any stretch. It just that he had attracted a lot of interest because he has been just head and shoulders above the rest in, in League One in, in midfield this season. And um, fair play to him as well. I mean, to reject a contract mid-pandemic at one point after training in the park, because not because not because of the money, because he could have signed the contract because of the money, but because he wanted to play. Uh, fair, fair play to him, I think, to actually do that. I think it's pretty brave. Um, and it's paid off for him. He's gone into a good club at MK Dons, played a good style of play, initially under Russell Martin, um, and has as, as just excelled, really kicked on, got those senior minutes. He's flagged up, he's, I mean, he's got seven goals, five assists. Um, his data is just flagged up with so many bigger teams as well that you know made a move this month, almost uh, inevitable. And um, yeah, as you say, Celtic are closing in on that now and, they sort of pipped the competition. There's competition from Serie A, from, from Bundesliga, um, Portugal. Um, the top flight clubs looking at him here. Um, he is, he'll be one that got away. Uh, we talked about him when, when I interviewed him in October, um, about how he, he didn't see that pathway really um, with Fulham going up and down. Without those opportunities, he had that long stretch on the bench. I remember in that final season where he didn't get those minutes. And and ultimately, that's the consequence. If you're not playing, you've got to find it your own way. And he's taken a risk and it's it's paid off. And now he looks set to join a, a good team with a good coach and Ange Postacoglu, a, a Celtic. And yeah, seems like a good fit. And, you know, see how far he can go. Obviously, from a Fulham side, it, it's a good sell-on. Clearly, it's a good sell-on. Obviously, you'd want more money. Um, but, um, you know, he does look like a player with quite a lot of ceiling. I mean, Jack... The only thing I will say for the whole Matt O'Reilly saga is even now, I don't exactly know where a Matt O'Reilly fits into this team. Sure, he'd be a good squad player and maybe you wouldn't need Nathaniel Chalobah as your kind of third choice centre midfielder. But, you know, do you drop 
Tom Kearney, John McElserry, Harrison Reed. Like it maybe just was an unfortunate thing that he was always in a position where it was difficult for him to get into this team. And like, I look at Fulham and I look at the whole situation and think, God, we've missed such a great opportunity there. And maybe there's things that we could have done to kind of keep him happy as a backup one for the future. But when you're in the position that Fulham were in, going up and down the leagues, always fighting for promotion or always trying to avoid relegation, I, I maybe just have to hold my hand up and say this was one that was just never destined to be ours, sadly. And that's a consequence of us not staying in the Premier League as as long as we could and being a yo-yo club. Yeah, I mean, that's it, isn't it? You, there are just some things that just don't work out because of context, and that's fine. You know, ultimately, it's it's upsetting to watch a player uh, who I think is going to be a top quality, you know, sort of Premier League level player at some point, um, obviously bouncing around and us not having had him and, and then not having him for long periods. But ultimately, that's sometimes you have to deal with that. And at centre midfield is arguably one of the hardest players. You know, you're not, you're not bringing in young centre midfielders and young centre-backs really are you when you're in a relegation scrap or if you're in a, a promotion fight because you want experienced heads in those positions now with a winger or with a player in Fabio's position so you can see Cess and Fabio and and think okay you can get a little bit more away with it you can have the odd game and you look you compare that someone like Matt O'Reilly or even maybe like a Steven says I think it's probably a little bit easier a right back I'll be honest but obviously when you make a mistake in a defensive sense you get punished for it. And, and therefore it's harder to bring in young players in those positions because it, it just makes things more complicated. And if they do make mistakes, it can be, it can be, you know, critical, not only for the club, but also for their careers. Um, so I, I think that's it, isn't it? Fulham just weren't in a stable enough position to bring O'Reilly through and let him have the minutes that he needed. He obviously dropped down, took those minutes where he could get them and is now moving on in his career and the development that we all kind of expected him to have. But I agree in the, you know, it, sometimes it just doesn't work out. Out for whatever reason in terms of timing in terms of positional you know Fulham have been strong in centre midfield for a long a long time got a lot of very very good players in that mix you know and over the last what five years we've talked about obviously the big three and TC Steph and Kevin McDonald but then also Seri and Angisa and Harrison Reed, and you're looking at very very good players um these are teams who you know there hasn't been much scope for similar and, and you know you can, you can have the same argument about Tyrese Francois right um who yes is a good player and yes I think is going to go on to be a, a very talented footballer but at the moment just can't get in the team and you can understand why because there's so much depth in that area now it doesn't make it right or wrong and I you know we'd love to see more players come through but ultimately until Fulham was settled again in a league and stable I just don't think that that's going to happen for a little while. And Jack, going to Celtic, um, you are a Celtic man. That's the side of the old firm that you fall on. I would on. fall upon, yes. Um, good move. I, I I looked at that and just thought, sensible. Looked at all the championship clubs coming in from like Swansea, Blackburn and all of that. And I was he, like, He'd oh, almost certainly do fine at any of them. But, but you know, I think this, this, move, the scope, this move, yeah. The scope to go and play in Europe next year, Um, you know, all of the above. The Celtic are on, uh, on fire a post about this. They brought in Rio Hitate from the J-League um, you know, Ange Postacoglu has brought three new players in on top of Kyogo Furuhashi from the J-League. They look like real players, like real, real talents. They're already starting, you know, Hatete in his first game was absolutely magnificent in the middle. Selica going through this rebuild where Ange Postacoglu is building them into kind of a, a very, very technical pressing team who work really hard, um, but still have a lot of ability on the ball. And you'd imagine that O'Reilly is the long-term Tom Rogic replacement in that midfield three, um, which is a role that I think will suit him down to the ground. I think Celtic are making really smart moves. That's 2.9 million for Hatate and O'Reilly if it goes through. It's just incredible value. You know, what was Celtic were good at 10 years ago, you know, when the likes of Van Dijk and Wanyama were coming through, was bringing players in on the cheap and selling them on for big profits and then using that to reinvest in the club and, and, and able to therefore push the club forwards. Um, there has been so much less of that of the last cup of late. Um, and, and we're starting to see that come through again. Really smart business moves that will generate profit in the future. I think O'Reilly will go for a much higher fee um, once this comes to a head. So yeah, um, I think it's a really good move for him. Yeah, I like Tom Rogic because you think they could throw him in as part of the deal. We'll, we'll what, to MK Dodds? <laughs> <laughs> we'll cut out the amount of the, of the sell-on fee if they can just give us magic. Him, get magic Tom Rogic in at the cottage. I'd love that. He is a, a player I very much admire. Right, Stoke on Saturday. We did some fixtures earlier. We know that um, it's probably the most difficult match 
between now and the beginning of March. But Stoke have not been in exceptional form, particularly at home. Uh, it's four without a win in the league at the Bet365 uh, Stadium. Uh, they had uh, a loss to Preston just after the new year. They lost to Derby. They drew with Middlesbrough. And they also lost to Blackburn. Uh, and Peter, you just have to look at the amount of goals scored, the amount of goals conceded. They have the second lowest amount of goals scored in the top half of the championship, but their defensive record is very good. They've only conceded 25 goals, which is again, right up there uh, in the championship. So they don't score many. They don't concede many either. So I could imagine this being a much tighter affair and one that Fulham will have to have to work. I think a lot harder for the three points than we've had to in the last three matches. Yeah. The, you know they're not in a good, good, good patch as you outlined there at home at, at, at the moment. Um, but in terms of, I think they were they were a team that we sort of picked out at the start of the season as one who could have a good campaign. They've got a good coach in, in Michael O'Neill, and um, that lacking lack of attacking uh, firepower, that that ability to score goals, has has cost them a little bit in terms of their their, their playoff place. Um, and and yeah, I, the Britannia is never an easy place to go. I know it seems a bit cliche, but it's not. It's, it's bloody cold and it's windy and it's um it's still stoke um and uh, the, the only thing is i we saw early in the season how when a team can go after fulham when they do sort of press them that fulham can be uh quite quite clinical and quite quite ruthless in those in those moments in particular and i think they're there from their perspective will be whether whether they sort of change something in, in terms of that approach and, and try and, and try and stop fulham um, but of course, as we've seen of these last few games, it hasn't worked so well. So, it, it, it you know they've had the extra few days to rest. They should be in a better position in terms of uh, how they line up. Um, and again, for Fulham, it'll be just a question of how they and, and will will Marco Silva rotate. Yeah, fatigue is going to be a problem in this game, Jack. Us playing a midweek match, Stoke not. Um, I know that we did have the opportunity to bring a few assets off last night. The likes of uh, Kearney got a rest, Gabano got a rest, Harrison Reed got the final 10 minutes off. I, uh, still I think, think Harrison Reed would have stayed on if he wasn't a walking red card. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did enjoy that little battle with Ryan Woods. It was like it was like watching twins run at each other. They had a great time. It was like if they ran into each other. Any oh, genuinely when when that when they had that clash in the middle that Woods went down holding his head, I thought the world might explode. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I still think Marcus Silva can make those changes earlier. But that's going to be a key thing here is is how Fulham can cope with having played you know double the amount of matches that Stoke have had to in the last couple of weeks. Will that come to a head here? Fulham are a good team, but we're not. We're not immortal. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, obviously, things feel like Fulham are just trekking along and it's like, it doesn't matter who you throw in front of us. But obviously, the, the teams we've played over the last couple of weeks have been like a fair bit weaker than Stoke are. And Stoke uh, at home, like, it's going to be a very different battle. You'd imagine it's going to be a, a much more physical battle and we'll, we'll see how we get on. But, you know, it, it's fine. When Fulham feel like they're in this form, you go into every game thinking, yeah, why not? Let's do it, right? Like, you know, there's a there's a level of this that, you know, I'm really, really excited about going to Stoke. And, you know, I don't think anyone's ever said that in their lives before. Um, so, you know, there is this point where you, you know, it just feels like at some point, obviously, it will come crashing down and that's fine. Um, but ultimately, at the moment, it just feels like we walk into every game, we think, yeah, let's do it. Let's just have them. They, I, what struck me last night was when the first goal game went in, I know it's partly because it was an own goal and it sort of bounced around and it, especially from the Hammersmith then it, it, no one kind of knew what was happening. But people like barely celebrated. <laughs> it was like, wee. <laughs> it was like pre-season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, legit. It was only when the, like, the fourth one went, everyone was like, well, this is good, isn't it? Um, that was the that was the point. So you know there is obviously this level of expecting to win games, expected to win games by more than three goals. And me and John were discussing the game beforehand, and we were looking at a couple of the bookies, and there was like the odds of full of four or more goals over four point five games in the in the match uh, goals in the match were like two to one. Well, those are the worst odds I've ever seen. But they're right, aren't they? Like they're right at the moment. So obviously, Fulham, I looked before the match, and Fulham were ten to one to win four nil. 
<laughs> what, what? Like a really specific scoreline. <laughs> I'm just like, God, these, rub- these odds are rubbish. It was Although actually I like the, boot, see- the boost was like Mitrovic to score twice and Fulham to win by more than three. Three to one. I was like, well, <laughs> is everyone feeling okay? Like, well, what's going on here? Um, 6-2 was 200 to one though. I actually looked at it before the game and I was like, well, that won't happen again. Yeah, well, fair play. It was still that's still the right thing to do, Sammy. That's still the yes. still the right <laughs> bet not to make. Um, but yeah, ultimately, you know, we look at these things and and, and think, yes, yeah, Stoke's gonna be a difficult game. It's gonna be a much harder game on, on paper. Um, but look, as we say, Fulham felt like they had a couple of gears last night that we didn't even step into. So if we can activate those gears, there's no reason that we can't go and win at Stoke. Um, you know, is it a, is it a gimme? No, absolutely not. Stoke are a good side, and the Britannia is a difficult place to go. Um, but can Fulham win there? Absolutely. Right, we're going to take a quick break and then there's time for a couple of renditions of This Will Catch On. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Jack and Peter. Um, we've massively gone over um, in that first section and so there's not much time for correspondence today. Uh, there's no midweek fixture next week and for the next few weeks. So we'll save some of the inbox for the next couple of pods. However, I've got a couple of this will catch ons um, for you both, which I'd like to share. Uh, the first one is from... John Brooker. He says, hi, Sammy, Jack and co. The podcast is great listening. Uh, I've been a Fulham fan since my first match when I saw Stanley Matthews playing for Stoke. We lost, of course. I have now inflicted my passion on my son and daughter. Since seeing that great 007 podcast title, the James Bond theme tune has been an earworm for me. So I wrote a chant from it. Being in the Putney end, my son and I will probably never get to sing it. Although the, the stand does have its moments, but I hope Hope you like it. Here it is, uh, an awful rendition, he says. He says, I'm sure with your studio skills and sound effects, you can make a better version. Well, we'll see uh, whether <laughs> I can make a better version out of this, John. Um, I, I have no words. This, this is it. We are the Fulham, we are Marcus Gold Weapon. We just blow other teams away. We're 007, we're the Fulham. That is so good. That is absolutely exquisite. I'm re- I'm John must have had a shandy when he when he thought, you know what, I'm gonna send him to Fulhamish. That's so good. I don't even quite like that. That's so good. I'm actually crying. I love oh, it. God. I'm going to try and get that going at Stoke. <laughs> <laughs> we are the Fulham. We are Marco's goal weapon. We just blow other teams away. We're 007. Brilliant. The lyrics. Brilliant. Absolutely sensational. 10 out of 10. 100 John. Yeah. I, I mean, it's never catching on, but it's just a 10 out of 10 because I just enjoyed it so much. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> Can you play that again at the end of the podcast, please? Yeah, I'll put it when after the podcast theme ends, I will put John's rendition again so you can hear it again. All right, final one. <laughs> this email is from Hal Stoddart. He says, Hi gents, huge fan of the pod. Thank you for all you do. In the last year, I've been introducing my two kids, Ludo, who is seven, and Casper, who is five, to the pod on the way home from school. With my hands poised over the volume, ready for any obscenities. He then says in brackets, I give Dom Betts episodes a wide berth. <laughs> They have been particularly enjoying the This Will Catch On feature and decided to come up with their own song. Sadly, they decided the object of their affection would be Paolo Gazaniga. And while I don't think this is likely to catch on, hopefully it deserves a 10 for effort and originality. So this is Ludo, age seven, doing a song for Paolo Gazaniga. There's no one ever better than Paolo Gazaniga. He saves every goal, he saves every shot. Should come on everybody, sing his name, oh yeah. Paolo Gazzaniga, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. It's, it's different. <laughs> I love it. Well done, it's Ludo. A, 10 out of 10. It's an A plus forever for me. I'm, I'm trying to work out the tune. but, but I'm, 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 I'm I think really... he's made his own tune. Oh, you know what? In which case, absolutely unbelievable. I was like, I don't know where we're going, but unbelievable. 
He's a songwriter. Yeah, he's a, you know we've you know following in the great Fulham traditions of example and Sam Smith. We've got yeah. Ludo coming in now, writing his own songs at this age. Unbelievable! That's an excellent effort. It's an excellent effort for Paolo Gazaniga. Thank you very much, Ludo. There's loads more of this or catch-ons um, in next week's show. I, I just haven't had time to play them today, but thank you for all your suggestions. There's one that I have to work on a little bit further, but there's one version of uh, Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting um, for Fabio Carvalho, which I am absolutely over the moon to share with you at some point. Okay, can't wait. Next week's pod, I think, might be a little bit of a doozy. I think Peter might just book some holiday, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Peter's going to sing it for us. <laughs> yeah, we're going to give Peter the hymn sheet and uh, he can sing all of them on next week's pod. Right, thank you very much uh, for listening to Jay. Jack, what would you like to go with for the pod title? I think we're going to have to go with Fulham Cricket Club. That's absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, A Murray eighteen on uh, Instagram. It's a it's a wonderful podcast name. So thank you very much, and thank you for all your three word reviews as ever. Uh, Jack, thank you very much for being on the pod today. Thank you, Sammy, for having me. And Peter Ratzer, thank you. No, thank you, Sammy. Uh, we'll go again against Stoke on Saturday, see if we can keep the run going and see if the horn can get another rendition. Have a great weekend. Come on, you whites. You whites. We are the Fulham, we are Marcus Gold Weapon, we just blow other teams away. We're 007, we're the Fulham. Na 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 Hi guys, if you've made it this far in the podcast, well done. Sammy here. I have made a version of John's James Bond song with the actual James Bond music, but I can't put it in the podcast because the athletic will get sued. So I'm gonna stick it on the Twitter at Fulhamish Pod and you can hear it there. It's well worth it. It's very funny. Thank you, John, for sending it in again. Have a lovely weekend. Bye.